Liz, do you fancy a quick game of Arkham Horror before Alison's ready to? <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel any better, we're having a lot of fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Octothorpe, a podcast about science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we are coming to you two weeks after Easter, at which we had our first live show, which had many comments in the chat, as some of our favourite podcast hosts say. How did you feel that the live recording went? I thought it was full of drivel and distractions and people not really keeping on topic, and it went on far too long. And then when I listened to the edit, it it sounded more or less all right, so... I think that's what we're aiming for, right? Yeah. And Liz was good. Yeah, I think we've peaked and it's just going to be downhill from now on. Uh, But maybe we could hope for a very slow decline over some time. (laughs) (laughs) So EasterCon had a variety of virtual components this year, owing to gestures out of window. How did we think the Zoom bid session? I think they put a load of work into it. I think... Keith Smith and his team essentially stepped up to the plate and worked out how they would do it and make it work well. And it did work well. It seemed to work, run very smoothly. I think it was obviously a very different sort of experience for the people presenting, especially um, poor Phil, who's been sick with the plague and, and sort of came off his deathbed in order to do his presentation for 2022. But I think the actual mechanical running of it in many ways worked better than our regular bid session, which I think is something that parliaments around the world are finding as well, that that it turns out that when you stop people catcalling and interrupting and generally acting like loons, you, you get a better democratic outcome. I think in some cases it was quite hard to do the questions by text because if you're doing them live in the room, people can get a lot of context from you and the way you say it. And I think there were some questions that maybe got misunderstood or we did not get quite the answer that the the questioner was looking for. But other than that, it was pretty good. It was a good start. It meant I could go to the bid session, which otherwise I would not have been doing. So that was quite nice. And did you vote for an Eastercon? I did vote for an Eastercon. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's back to Birmingham again. I don't mind the Birmingham Hilton perfectly reasonable place for an easter con we didn't go this year so let's go next year for those who don't know the 2021 easter con will be confusion in 2021 it will be held at the birmingham hilton metropole the guests of honor as far as we remember were dan abnett nick vincent and dave lally but the list is not on the website yet so we apologize sincerely if we have forgotten one I am excited about Confusion, but one thing I do want to touch on is that my understanding is that the Birmingham Hilton Metropole was chosen as the location before the COVID-19 situation arose. And so it's interesting that this, I think, was the first time we would have gone back to a hotel in back-to-back years for a long time. I know I think it's happened in the dim and distant past, but what do you think about having EasterCon in the same place two years in a row? I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to find hotels. The other thing that was announced at Easter was that Phil Dyson is kind of a bid presumptive for 2022, but didn't want to bid because he hasn't nailed a hotel down yet. And I think some of the sites 
that we might have used in the past are not acceptable to us now. Some of them are out of our price range now. The Eastercon becomes more demanding in what it needs every year. Eastercon is, it's kind of stable in size. You have to actually work to prevent it from growing. But it's around about a thousand, which is quite a difficult size to put into hotels in, in the UK. And so there just aren't that many sites. And I think Liz said, oh, the Hilton Birmingham Metropole is a perfectly good site. But in fact, it was it was quite a lot better than that last time we went. It really did have, apart from being on a motorway junction, pretty well everything you would want an Eastercon site to have, like local shops and restaurants and beer and good cheap food and plenty of function space and plenty of bedrooms to the extent that they don't have to use an overflow. Everyone always gets into the hotel. And I think that's quite compelling. I I can see that having negotiated it once, I can see that Vanessa would want to go back. The other thing I wanted to say about Confusion 2021 is that the other thing I want to talk about Confusion 2021 is that although Vanessa is chairing again, it's otherwise a different committee. She's got some, I think a couple of the same people working on the convention, but the overall committee has new people on it. And in particular, I don't think it's got its programme head in place yet. So it's it's a different committee to the committee that will go to give us the Eastercon this year. Yeah, you're right. I'm probably a little bit unfair to the Hilton. It's also, it was noticeably better last time we went than the time before, because a lot more shops and restaurants and everything have grown up around that development. So it's less kind of in the middle of nowhere and there's nowhere else to go and eat and more in the middle of other things. And I think that made the hotel more competitive about feeding us because we actually have other options. They're not the only game in town. It also has extremely good transportation links as well. Yes, it does. And I think one of the things I remember about the first time we went was that the food situation was not really very good. And the most recent time we went, it was a lot better. So I agree with you that the growth of the complex nearby, it's got a Nando's and a Pizza Express and other chain restaurants. So it's nothing particularly to write home about, but it just gives you a lot more option than you had before. It also has one of the best restaurants in the Midlands. So it actually, as well as having its cheap restaurants, it's also got a couple of really high-end restaurants. So it was filling that niche for people who wanted to go and do a bit of fine dining as well. Excellent. And it does have very, very good function space. In fact, it's got more function space than an Eastercon can use, which is unusual for a hotel. The other thing that had changed in between our two more recent visits is that they'd had the furries, I think, a couple of times. And I think the furries are more or less exactly like the Eastercon, except with more fur. And so they really knew how to serve a crowd that was like that. Yeah, I think as hotels get used to conventions, they get more and more keen to have conventions because I think conventions are a usually relatively well-behaved group of people who will spend an inordinate amount of food and drink while being very polite and quiet. I think that was clear in the difference between the the Hilton the two times we went. And I think it stands in stark contrast to the Radisson Edwardian, which was one of the common Eastercon hotels of yesteryear, because they got progressively worse and always treated the convention attendees as a lower class of hotel guest than the non-convention attendees, which I think left a very poor taste in the mouth and led to an awful lot of dissatisfaction with that as a venue. So I think the, the Hilton Metropole does a much better job from that perspective too. I'm happy we're going back. I really like that hotel. I find it very easy to get to because it's a direct train from Southampton. There are lots of hotels around if you don't want to stay in the Con Hotel, but there's plenty of room in the Con Hotel if you do. 
and it's generally a very good location. So I am excited to go in 2021. I just want to go to an Eastercon anywhere, anytime, ever again. Oh, sorry. Not Easter? I mean... Uh, one of the things that surprised me about the bid session was there was a question about what would happen if COVID-19 meant that there were still travel restrictions in place at Easter next year. And the ConCom said that they hadn't really thought about that and hadn't put any plans in place. What do you think about that? Do you think that's sensible? I was appalled by how little planning they did this year. I mean, obviously, having to cancel your EasterCon is terrible, but I feel that they could have done a lot more in the four weeks or five weeks between when they cancelled and the original dates to make sure that virtual events were happening and were encouraged, even if they hadn't done all the work of organising them themselves. What they actually did was sent out a thing saying, please don't organise any events because we're going to let you know, which was the exact opposite of what I think they should have done. I understand that if I if it had been my EasterCon being cancelled, I might have been too busy crying into my beer to think about what alternatives we could have. But it would have been quite straightforward to have set up social spaces, to have set a system in place so that panels could have happened, to say we're going to have some chats about some topics you might be interested in that you could sign up to be on a panel on or something like that. And they could have done all of that and they didn't do any of it. And that was for this year. So I was very keen to say Easter cons or all conventions in the future should have some planning arrangements for this sort of thing and should be should be planning to do virtual things so that they can switch if they need to. And I was surprised that they didn't. I feel that they missed an opportunity. I feel that although, as they said, doing it properly can be quite expensive, you can do it improperly with not a lot of work, as we've all discovered in the last six weeks. I think I'm not surprised that they didn't do anything because I think that it was very clearly a big shock to everyone that this developed as quickly as it did, like intellectually, I knew it was going to, but sort of emotionally, I think it really hit me that like, this is the first Easter for a very long time that I've not gone to an EasterCon. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. And so I think I can understand why they might not have been able to arrange anything this time round. And I appreciate that's a very hard thing. And I appreciate that that could have been very fraught. What I am sort of hoping is that if there are still travel restrictions next year, we don't end up in a situation where again, we have no official EasterCon provision because I am I don't want to end up in a situation where this kind of thing happens again with no official panels or official social spaces or anything like that. I think I can understand and sympathize with what happened this year. I think if you are planning to do EasterCon next year it is just prudent to assume that you are not going to know until close to time how it's going to work. I think it's just prudent to plan for if you have to do a remote EasterCon or if you want to even include some remote options because clearly the last thing that's going to come back is large gatherings of people and the last thing that's going to come back is like long distance travel. So you might be in the position where we can have a full EasterCon. You might be in the position where you have a reduced EasterCon or you might be in the position where you have no EasterCon and I think it's at this point you just have to have contingency plans for those. And if you don't, then you're going to have another year of planning to run a great convention and then being extremely disappointed if you can't do that. 
I think there is a fourth option, which is that they may have a lot of members who, even if travel is allowed and the Eastercon is allowed, have decided for themselves that it's not safe to do so. And I think the notion that we might disenfranchise our oldest and in poorest health members, not because they can't physically get to the convention, but that we don't think that they don't think it's safe for them to do so. And that even with a year's warning, nobody's doing anything about that. And when they were asked the question, we're kind of like, well, we've got no plans to do anything about that. I feel like there's a lot more that could be done here. I agree. And I think it will be really interesting to see what does happen next year, because obviously I think all three of us are very much hoping that EastCon will happen and everything will be normal and there will be none of this that needs to be worried about. But I am keenly aware that me hoping that happens and it actually happening are two very different things. I think the other interesting point here is that, especially with Worldcon, but with EasterCon as well, I think the idea of having panels one can access virtually from the perspective of being able to buy a supporting membership and do that is something that has been being talked about more and more in recent years. And I am wondering whether this will be a shove towards trying to start making that happen. And I am hoping that this is the shove that starts making that happen because I often find myself in situations at EastCons where I end up missing a panel that I would love to go back and see a recording of or I end up being on a panel where I would love to watch it back because I think there were some really interesting points made and I'm not able to take notes as thoroughly as I'd like to while talking. So I think it would be really nice if we could develop that capability and this seems like a good almost like a good excuse to try and do that do you two think that this will be an impetus towards that or do you think i'm being overly optimistic i i think you're right i think that everyone would like more things to be streamed live broadcast recorded for later consumption and and this could be a good opportunity because well the benefit here is that you could plan your convention panels so they can either happen live at the EasterCon with a streaming broadcast or they can happen live from people's houses with a streaming broadcast and then in either situation you are already prepared i think the best way to do this is to have some of the panels planned that way so rather than saying we're going to try and recreate the 420 items at an EasterCon or whatever we've got a lot which includes all sorts of items which nobody in their right minds will put on the internet along with all sorts of things where actually the, the audience for them is, is very small. I think the, the latter sort are fine. You know, you may only get 10 people tuning in, but those people really care and they're all over the world. So I, I think there is something there about you could do certain sorts of things better in small groups, including an internet presence. And if you just said, well, we're, we won't be doing all of it, but we're going to focus on, a cut, say, half a dozen really high-profile events that we'll do online and a few small and very specialist events that you, you that we'll do online and the rest of the stuff will happen if it happens and not if it doesn't. I think that's very true and actually I spent two days this week doing two full day training calls which all took place on Zoom and it was incredibly tiring and I would never voluntarily do that for an EasterCon. So you don't need to stream 420 items, you need to stream 20 maximum yeah because i think if i was going to do that i would be streaming the big guest of honor panels and talks because oftentimes what happens is i'm torn between an interesting little niche item and the interview with john scalzi and 
if you stream the interview with John Scalzi, John Scalzi is already going to be on his best behaviour because he is in that kind of work mode as a guest of honour anyway. And it means I can go to a small little niche panel that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to attend. So I do think there is an argument there that you can get around that by only streaming the big panels where you're already hedging your bets a bit. The other thing I will say is that I think that at the moment we have panels that are more intimate because we know they're not being recorded. And I, and I think if you start recording panels, you will get a slight shift in what people are willing to say if they know they're being recorded, which I think would change the complexion of the panel slightly. It is interesting to note, I think I saw one of the people who works on Zealand saying that prior to the announcement they were going virtual, only five people who had filled out the programme survey had said that they did not want to be recorded. So I think most people appearing on panels are willing to be recorded. I think as long as they know it's going to happen in advance, can tailor their presence on that panel with that knowledge. I do think in some ways you'd lose a lot if you streamed the entire programme, but I wouldn't necessarily think that would be necessary. Although I will say if it was only available to supporting and attending members, I think I wonder to what extent I would be worried about guarding my speech because... If I know that anyone at the EasterCon can watch my speech back, that's not much more public than anyone at the EasterCon being able to come into my panel. But I don't know. Anybody at the EasterCon who has recording technology can then pass it on. In practice, everyone can record all the time anyway. You, you know, we've, we've not really... People are very polite about asking if they can record panels, but anyone with a phone can record a panel. So we don't really... We've not really been able to have the sort of freedom to have the late night drunken panels that we that were once a feature of conventions. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do miss them sometimes. Well, I, you do still get a couple, but I must admit, I always prefer going to parties than panels, but I want to have a drunken laugh. So the last time we were at the Birmingham Hilton, I went to a late night panel on, I think, administering the Hugo Awards which sounded like an incredibly dry panel, but was actually a really great one. So sometimes the unexpected panels are the surprisingly great, slightly uh, all the audience are drinking late night panels. Uh, That's a good point. And certain panel concepts like vote with your ass would work very well as a drunken late night thing. Although you'd have to be quite careful not for it to become a contact sport, I think. You may have to explain vote with your ass, John. You have a room in which there is either sort of a one-dimensional line or a circle of chairs, and the moderator of the panel will pose questions to the audience, and the audience will divide themselves in the room according to their opinion on that question. So oftentimes it will be like, which is better, the 10th or 11th Doctor? And everyone who thinks the 10th Doctor is best stands on the left, and everyone who thinks the 11th Doctor is best stands on the right. Where, where do you put the people who can't remember which is which? It's a good panel item for a light-hearted kind of group argument format, which can be very fun, especially if everyone has had a drink. So as a late-night panel idea, it could work quite well. The people who think the fourth Doctor was best just rattle their Zimmer frames. Another bid that was mooted at the bid session was the 2022 bid, led by Phil Dyson, who has COVID-19 at the point he was presenting the bid, which is truly heroic. He still did a pretty good job, I have to say. He did an excellent job. I think for somebody who was plague-ridden, he really did step up to the plate and give a good bid. I think he probably did better than I would do remotely without the plague, so... 
smashed it out of the park. I've got a lot of time for Phil. I think he's an excellent con runner, and I think his bid was very well put together. There was a kind of take the temperature of the room vote for whether or not people thought what he had announced was fair, but he did not put his bid forward for an actual confirmation vote because they do not yet have a venue. They are still in discussion with a few different places as to where they're going to end up. And I think they heavily hinted that they were trying to end up in the north of England somewhere. Are you excited about the 2022 EasterCon from what you heard at the bid session? It's actually much easier to bid an EasterCon if you're not doing the whole package. So if you don't have your whole committee together, if you don't have a site to announce, if you don't have anything for people to really say, well, actually, we hate some of this idea. So it, obviously, it was it's very positive, but that's because it's not a complete bid yet. I'm still very excited about the idea of going to an EasterCon and meeting my friends. You have no idea. I'm very excited about the idea of going to the pub. I'm, I'm actually quite excited about the, the idea of going to the shops, you know, not to buy essential items, but just to kind of hang around an Apple store for an afternoon. You know, I might... My... <laughs> what, what excites me has, has really gone downhill at this point. You heard it here first, folks. And and to like stop at those pretzel stands where they give you a bit of pretzel to taste with germs, no doubt. <laughs> All of these things. I, I'm just just very excited by anything other than sitting in rooms. Liz, how excited are you by um, bits of pretzel and going to Apple stores? Those are not two things which are really high on my list, to be honest. I'm quite excited by I'm quite excited by the idea of having an EasterCon in 2022. I think Phil's going to do a great job and i look forward to seeing the rest of phil's team and his guests and also location i think it's also worth noting that we really don't know what the hotel market is going to look like in 2022 and what will be available and it 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 might completely have changed there might be far fewer in-person gatherings and prices could change and hotel chains could completely fold so it's going to be a fun year for phil sorting that one out i think we may have a significantly smaller EasterCon or a significantly bigger one. I think one of the things we do know is that it takes a lot for hotels to actually close. They just, they kind of go down market and shabbier and shabbier and shabbier when when times are hard until they end up as the Adelphi. And it's, it seems likely that when we do decide we want to get together again, we will find somewhere we can do that. I think going a bit down market and shabby is really our, our target set of hotels. Okay, so one of the reasons that Easter cons are hard at the moment is that shabby hotels tend to be quite bad for access and we have increasingly complex access needs. Mm. That's, I think, a big part of the problem. I mean, the Adelphi, I still love it, but it is a nightmare of stairs as well as being a nightmare of a hotel to work with. We had a stair problem at the Majestic that I think that they've looked at again for 2022 and concluded is not ever going to be soluble. I think that's a problem with a lot of the shabby sites, that that if you're shabby, you don't sort out these access problems. And although we talk about fans liking slightly shabby spaces, as we've grown older, we've kind of liked our creature comforts as well. So in fact, we don't really like shabby hotels any more than anybody else does. So what we're actually hoping for is hotels with great access to become shabby. I think it will be interesting to see if some of the high-end 
conferences do go virtual, whether there is scope to use the sorts of hotels that are just completely out of our league at the moment that do exist. Yeah, that's fair. It will be interesting to see how that happens, I think. Over Easter weekend, there were a plethora, a myriad, a various little smorgasbord of virtual activities arranged by a host of good people, including our very own Alison Scott. So what virtual pursuits did you go to? I think we mentioned a lot of them on the podcast, but um, what did you go to and what what worked and what didn't? I didn't go to any of the programme, but I did go to a party every single night. So it was a lot like a real Eastercon for me. I did go to the bidding session, but apart from that, I didn't get to any programme. I don't think there was any programme, actually. I think that that's the problem. And I discovered that drinking a very large amount of beer in the vicinity of my extremely expensive work computer is probably a terrible mistake. And I may need to some kind of beer ingestion system that doesn't involve leaving it, leaving open cans of beer on my desk in future. You need one of those hats with the two cans of beers and the straw. For example, I'm not sure how that would go with the whole headphones and microphone and pop filter. No, this is a new market. Headphones with built-in beer holders. Yes, we have invented a thing. Well, we have the idea for an invention. We will will patent it. And Octothorpe will be forever remembered as the inventor of the podcaster Beeromatic 3000. I also went to parties. I don't think I went to as many parties as you. Did you go to the dead dog? I didn't find out about the dead dog until afterwards. I did go to the dead dog because I did find out about it. But one of the things I established when I set my party up was that you have to be quite assiduous in telling people that events are on in Facebook. I, I got to the point where I was worried that Facebook were going to send the police round because every time I went into my Facebook event for my party, it, it flashed up increasingly strident warnings saying, you're not supposed to be gathering. You should not be having events of many people. And there didn't seem to be a box to tick to say, it's on Zoom, you idiots. I kind of pu- publicised my party very hard, much more than I ever would a real party, where essentially you, you, you have to be chatting to me and then I give you party invitations. But I I kind of told everyone repeatedly about it, and including people who were not on on Facebook. And I think other people who ran parties rather relied on Facebook to show the party invite to their friends. And Facebook's terrible at that. So I think a lot of people didn't know about it. But there were were parties every every night, I think. And some, some nights had more than one party. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed your room party, or sorry, your Zoom party. I start, We started the party at nine. I had some beer that I had bought from the pub across the bridge from me, which I believe I was talking about at the live recording. And then I had some beer, and then I had some more beer, and then I had some gin, and then I had some more gin. And at midnight, I ordered pizza and ate some pizza. And I went to bed at 3am and then I woke up the next morning with a stonking hangover and no hotel breakfast. So it was almost exactly like a real Saturday night at Neastcon and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It really took all of the sadness out of my weekend. It was absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for organising it. It was great. That's very kind. I That was what I was hoping for. I was hoping that people would drink too much and stay up too late and have hangovers. There is a slight problem with Zoom parties, which is it turns out that if you drink too much and stay up too late, then gradually people from 
Australia and New Zealand and indeed Thailand start to join your party. And and these parties could theoretically just kind of continue on in a never ending cycle of debauchery through this method. Um, though I think eventually Zoom throws you out going, you lot are a load of dirty stop outs, ain't you got homes to go to? But then you could just start, start the Zoom again. So it's not too bad. So basically, you're saying that Zoom is going to recreate, was it the longest party anyone ever had that flies around in the Hitchhiker's Guide? Yes. Randomly attacking places for party supplies. You're basically going to recreate that. I had a great time. I was reminded of, I think it was a few years ago, John, when you decided to stay up all night drinking at an Easter con. And then we had breakfast together the next morning while you were extremely kind of passing from very drunk into slightly hungover and the hangover was going to appear. And I was like, just woken up and having breakfast. And I very, I, I definitely recreated that experience at Alison's party. But it was fun because if it was a party actually at an Easter con, then I would not have been able to go. Was that, that must be 2008, maybe? No, it was at the Park Inn, so it must be... Oh, okay. No, I do remember. Uh, were we... We had breakfast with Sean and Maguire, who was the guest of honour, because she turned up in the bar, and me and Alison and Claire and Jerry and a couple of other people who I don't remember had been staying up drinking at about 6am, Sean came down and asked, please tell me that you have got up early and you're not here from the night before. We said, we got up early. And she said, that's a lie, isn't it? And we said, yes. And then she sighed and we eventually had breakfast. But that might not have been the same time. The problem with all of these stories is I was very drunk, so my memories are hazy. <laughs> the Park Inn is a remarkable hotel because it's at Heathrow. It is possible to get caffeinated beverages made with actual coffee machines um, 24 hours a day without any difficulty at all. So at that point, at about three in the morning where you go, you know, unless I have a double espresso, I'm probably going to need to go to bed soon. <laughs> you can have a double espresso and carry on. It is pretty fantastic. Was that the one you were thinking of, Liz, or was it a different one? I think it was that one, but I think what happened is you had like three or four different separate breakfasts. <laughs> I think you had that breakfast at like 6am. Then you went for a nap, and then you got to have breakfast again about 10 o'clock. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a hero, but I'm heavily implying it. I remember that. That is possibly the most fun I have ever had at an Eastercom. Every t- I've got to the stage in my life that I every time I stay up all night drinking, I think, is this the last time I will ever stay up all night drinking? Oh. Um, and it never is, or it never has been so far. Wait. Well, that's, that is a result, I think. It, and it was good because later, later on we were talking about it, and you arrived at about 2am UK time. And by that time, I was half a pizza and many beers down. And it was very good to see you. I very hazily remember that that happened. Um, and yes, but it was, it was, it was properly, it did properly feel like an Easter con. It, it was, it was truly excellent. In other news, things that have happened since last time we recorded, one of us needs congratulating. Uh, congratulations to Alison Scott for being this year's Guff winner. Yes, I'm very pleased. And I am quite pleased that it wasn't close, that, they, that, that lots of people voted and lots of them voted for me. And I do appreciate that. That is, that is lovely. I'd been a bit worried because I, I, I ran because one of my nominators kind of twisted my arm up the, my back and said, you should really run in this race. And that was, 
because I was worried that there wouldn't be candidates or and then there ended up being six so I was like and then there's a whole lot of complexity around this because given my this is the first guff race since my youngest child turned 18 and given my druthers I wouldn't have chosen to go to a world con in Australia and New Zealand I'd have chosen to go to a national convention because uh, world cons are kind of more the same anywhere whereas if you go to a national convention or a large regional you really get to meet fans in the area doing doing fanish things but because of various personal crap that's going on in my life I wasn't sure I would be able to run in a couple of years or three years or whatever so I am now committed to virtually attending Codzilla which I'm very much looking forward to and I'm going to talk a little bit about how I'm going to do that in a second but also I will make a real trip to Australia and New Zealand hopefully next year I mean I'm not going to go until it feels like it's safe to go so that might end up being I mean I hope it'll be next year but it might be 2022 you know but I'll go when I can and I'm I'm really excited to have won and thank you everyone very much for for voting for me and putting your faith in me as a fan fund delegate and it's, it's particularly sweet because I really don't think I was ever going to be able to afford to travel to without the the fan funds so I'm really very thrilled I am planning a virtual trip. So what I'm going to do is I was going to go for three weeks, ending two weeks in Australia and a week in New Zealand, plus travel, ending at the New Zealand World Con. So I'd have had a, the World Con and then one rest day and then flying home. And so I'm going to take that exact period of time. And if you are any part of any Australian or New Zealand or somewhere who can reasonably visit it on the way as a stopover fan group, I would like to have a virtual meeting in your area and I'd also like to do the virtual tourist attractions in in those areas in the period leading up to Zealand. so I'm hoping to meet with as many fan groups as possible and as many fans as possible and do as many of the experiences virtually that I would actually have been able to do if I'd visited so that's that's kind of the plan excellent stuff I'm going to go on to Australia and New Zealand time, one of those. I I assume they are not all in the same time zone as it's an area about as big as Europe or maybe even a bit bigger. So I don't know, but I will I will do I will be on their time zones as well for 3 weeks, um which is kind of night shift. According to timeanddate.com there are 8 total time zones in Australia and New Zealand. And is one of them a half hour time zone? Yes. There's a half hour time zone. Yes, Adelaide. So you can you can really go go off piste and set yourself, you know, ten and a half hours away. There's a quarter hour time zone. There's a quarter hour time zone, Alison. You must go there. On my TAF trip, I went to St John's in Newfoundland on my way to Toronto, and that is a half hour time zone, and I got very excited because that's a cool thing to do. NB may not actually be cool, maybe heavily dependent on nerdery. But yes, there is a part of Australia which is a quarter hour time zone. And I don't know if there is any fandom there, but... So there are eight time zones in Australia and New Zealand. And my challenge for my virtual trip is to visit all of them. I will have the worst case of jet lag. I think I'm going to aim for the worst case of jet lag ever without leaving your own home. Excellent. I'm not sure there are eight time zones. I think they span eight hours, technically. Ah, maybe. But we might be too far into time zone nerdery now. 
Australians and New Zealanders, please send us letters of comment about why we are wrong about your time zones. So send those to Alison Dot Scott. No. I confidently predict that somewhere in our very small listenership, there will be someone who is nerdier about time zones than we can believe possible. And they will be in touch. Excellent. Please. For people who have not looked at the voting statistics, there were six candidates for Guff. One of the candidates dropped out and the other five were comprised of individuals and couples. So it's like six groups of people, I suppose, rather than six individuals. But Alison won with over 50% of the first preference votes. And when will you write your trip report, Alison? Well, I'm going to write a virtual trip report this year, but I'll do a real one as well. I, you're not going to get my trip report for a while, are you? I'll have to think of a more of another new format to do it in. Maybe it'll be the first Zoom, Zoom. No, it'll be the second Zoom trip report, won't it? Me and Anna Raftery have been doing Zoom videos in order to do Anna's TAF report. So Anna went to Mid America on Two in 2016, which was in Kansas City, and she was the TAF winner. And so I interviewed Anna on Friday as we record. That was two days ago talking about the first leg of her trip and her reasons for running for TAF and, and how she found the experience of running. And I think that went really well. We had about 20 listeners live and the video, audio and transcript thereof will be made available for a small donation to the fan funds when we've done the whole trip in conversational form. I wanted to explore what the format of a trip report could be because obviously the original trip reports came out of fanzine fandom in the early to mid-50s as the fan funds have gone on for longer and longer, they have become less and less tied specifically to fanzine fandom and have become a much broader thing that reflects a lot more corners of our fandom, which I think is really good. But one of the flip sides of that is that not everyone who wins necessarily has the skills to write, edit and produce a 80 to 100 page document. So I think some people are you know, much more conversational or have different skill sets. And so I wanted to do something with Anna because I thought she would be very good in a kind of more conversational video audio medium. And I think it went really well. I hope it went really well. I I found it interesting, but I was obviously the interviewer. And Liz could not attend because we held it in the evening, which was about three in the morning for Liz. But Alison very helpfully let us host it on her Zoom and sort of did introductions. And then we had a bit of a party afterwards. So that was also very I think I am learning that when you're doing something like this formally using Zoom or another video conferencing solution, it's extremely helpful to have one person whose job is only managing people in the room and letting them know what's going on and telling them how to do things and and all of that stuff. Because if you're trying to do that plus also run the interview, if you're me, you'll, you'll get distracted all of the time. And because I don't have webinar mode, because it's an extra 40 quid a month, I'm, we're doing this thing where whenever anyone turns up, we have, to, we have to quickly turn their video off so that it doesn't appear on the eventual recording. But hopefully that will all come out in John's beautiful edit. Um, I think you'll find video editing is much more complicated than podcast editing, maybe. The videos, I think, will probably be less highly edited than the audio. So my my plan with the videos is basically just to cut out moments where it was someone else's camera coming up because they were joined and we hadn't managed to blank them out yet. With the audio, I will go through and, and kind of cut out the ums and ers and 
and that will be available as a kind of audiobook. And then I will do transcripts of that on top, um, which Claire Briley is assisting with in her capacity as person who does lots of work for very little thanks, which is a thing that she is very good at. And I try and make sure that I say her name and give her thanks wherever possible in order to address uh, that balance. I think it is good for uh, the fan funds to move with the times a bit. I think it is good not to exclude them from being fan fund candidates if their attitude is not for producing a giant written report, but for doing something in audio form or video form or photography or whatever medium they would like to report in, basically. And I think you've got everything covered. You're going to do it by uh, video and audio. And unfortunately, not everyone will be able to watch live, but there will be recordings and there will be transcripts. So you've got all the bases covered. Yeah, we are, I think, also going to try to do it at different times to make sure that different recordings can have people from different time zones. Um, But I think, I suspect most of them will be at times that US people can turn up because obviously TAF is most interesting to Europeans and people in North America. And so obviously tailoring the time zones to the evening in Europe means that you hit that better but I think we'll try and do at least one that is suitable for people who are in time zones ahead of London in order to make sure that they can have at least one experience of coming along. Just for you, Liz, and also for other people who live in far off places. Yeah, I realise I have brought this upon myself by moving to a time zone which is either six or seven hours ahead of the UK. But yeah, you're not the first people to have to grapple with the problems of time zones for virtual events, and you will not be the last. We will not. And I suspect we will come on to discussing that a bit more when we touch upon Zealand in the next episode. Do either of you have anything else you'd like to say about the fan funds? I think this is probably a good point for you to mention your trip report, your imminent trip report, John. So I have written a trip report. It is 90 pages long and somewhere in the region of 25,000 words. And it is um, very almost finished. It only needs two more pieces of art. And one of them is being constructed by a Alison Scott of Walthamstow. So if Alison, if you could sort of get your finger out a little bit, then I can get my trip report out. Okay, so there's a slight catch which is that this this weekend a lot of the time that i might have done that has been doing things like <laughs> helping with anna's taff thing and recording octothorpe and in fact i've had i had i've had four kind of very work-like zoom events where i've been responsible for managing the structure of the event this weekend which seems like more than you should have to have in, I, I feel like I've discovered a new skill that's apparently a paying job skill in this new world, except that I don't really want to do it for pay because I was very happy selling crap on the internet. So, you know, anyway. Um, so, yes, so I'm sorry. I will get my figure out, but possibly still not this weekend. So, you know, soon, 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 real soon now. Um, as you've missed the EasterCon deadline, you don't really need to get it out before Zealand, do you? Uh, my new plan is probably to do it next year because next year will be the 10th anniversary and that seems like if I'm going to do it late I might as well do it properly late Um, but Anna's report so for those who don't know who aren't as read up on the various fan funds as I am having been an administrator there are bounties available for submitting trip reports there is a bounty from 
a American organization and there is a bounty from a Canadian organization. And when I have remembered their names, I will put links in the show notes. The Canadian one has a five-year deadline and the American one has no deadline. So I will get the American one, which is $500, and that will be $500 for TAF. The benefit of doing Anna's this year is that as long as we get it finished by the end of the year, she will come under the deadline for the Canadian bounty as well. So that will be $8,000, I believe, for TAF. Is that five years from the date of trip or five years from winning the fund? This this seems more relevant than it might be. It would be, as long as we do it by the end of 2020, they are the same, That they, they both of those will be true. I actually don't know. I assume it's from the date of the trip. Yeah, I'm just slightly worried about this for, for my guff thing, though. Um, projects that are left do fester, so... I kind of think I'm going to have to do it within a year of actually making the trip or all of those things that you remember, I will have forgotten. Though I am, when I do the proper trip, I am going to take a lot of recording devices with me. I'm going to try and and make notes and scribble things onto Facebook and so on every single day. Otherwise, yeah, you know what it's like. The words in my trip report were mostly committed to fanzines um, within the month after I came back. And it is only the kind of written and nicely formatted trip report that has taken ages. I wrote all of the words as I was going along. And editing, it turns out, is is effort. I was planning to ask Claire to do it. Claire did a proofread run on mine, which took me about three days to go through because it was 500 comments on 25,000 words. Okay, I can beat that. I did a poster. I did a poster for Dublin. It was an a big poster to go on the wall. Caroline gave me the words. I did the layout. I just happened to give it to Claire to proofread at a party. And I think there were 500 comments on that. And it was one poster. Claire is a proofreading machine. If you ever need anything proofread, Claire is a good person to proofread it. I actually think she should probably at some point start charging for her services because she's very good. And also some of the comments made me laugh and I'm a bit sad no one else will ever get to read them. You could definitely put an appendix to your trip report that is the funniest bits out of the proofread. There are footnotes in my trip report, which are the thing that Claire said about that thing. And I've just put that in a footnote. How are we all feeling about staying sane in the apocalypse? I have to say I'm feeling several degrees less sane than I was a couple of weeks ago. If this were Call of Cthulhu or Arkham Horror or something, my insanity would be rising or my sanity would be dropping precipitously. So actually, that's funny you say that, because one of the ways me and Liz have been staying sane in the apocalypse is playing Arkham Horror over Tabletop Simulator, sort of simulating our lapsing sanity in order to prevent it happening in real life. But I must admit, I, I do... I can feel my sanity slipping slightly. I think I am getting less productive and slightly more frustrated to be indoors. I bought a new portable telephone. Oh, what portable telephone is it? It is an iPhone SE. So it's exactly like my old iPhone SE, except bigger and much flashier and very much faster. And I'm not quite used to it yet because it feels very big and flashy and and it's it's too, slightly too big for my hands, which is the reason why I didn't have a phone in that form factor before. Phones have got too big for me. I might have to go back to one of those little Nokia things. And then I realised that it was stupid buying a phone because I'm not going out anywhere or seeing anyone or doing any of the sorts of things for which it's quite handy to have a phone on you. 
Are either of you finding that you are turning to retail therapy to stay safe? Because I'm definitely, I'm spending less money because I'm obviously trapped in my house, but I'm definitely buying more stuff than I was. Well, I've said two things. I've said, first of all, that my mother always told me to save for a rainy day. And this day seems to be pretty rainy as days go. So my habit of buying nothing in my life has turned into a buy everything in my life. So, for example, during this podcast, I have bought a clamp on microphone stand for a blue snowball microphone from eBay. (laughs) (laughs) So that next time we speak, I will actually be able to have the snowball right in front of my face. Uh, Liz, how are you staying sane? And and what's the what's the COVID-19 situation like in Thailand? Are you allowed out or are you under curfew what are the what are the restrictions you're under i can't go out between 10 p.m and 4 a.m which is fine because all the restaurants and pubs are shut anyway so you're not going out drinking uh you also can't currently buy alcohol but fortunately i laid in a stockpile of gin i'm doing okay it turns out i'm quite well suited to sitting in the house all day and not talking to anyone but i have just got a very exciting message saying that people are coming around to deliver cookies to me this is not a joke so i will have to leave the podcast shortly in order to go and collect cookies is that okay that is okay we can use that as our uh, impetus to wrap up so from the three of us thank you very much for listening to the octo thought podcast uh, and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me the music used in this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under a Creative Commons BY 3.0 license. Excellent. Well, we will speak to you soon, Liz. I hope the cookies are lovely. Please send me a picture of them so I can put it in the show notes. <laughs>